This episode contains real, narrated experiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening, and welcome into Disturbed. I'm your host, Chad. This week, I've got five true experiences that are sure to give you a good scare. So come along and join me as we explore the realm of true horror. first experience comes from Reddit user SweetieEV, with narration by Aaron Lillis. This experience has been independently verified by Reddit's team through supporting evidence, and has been given the exclusive verified tag. You can't always trust your roommates. After high school many years ago, I was in a bad place. My guardian had kicked me out after graduation. She didn't help me find a place to stay, so I lived in my car for a couple of months. I met some heavy metal dudes at work one day. I'd seen them around town, and all my other friends knew who they were. Everyone loved them. We became friends over a couple of months, and they offered for me to move in with them. I agreed. Looking back now, I wish I'd just stayed in my car. My two main roommates were brothers named Andrew and Seth. They were in a band. They also believed in the occult and anything of that sort. I never really believed in that stuff, but I'm not one to tell someone what they should believe. They had let me live with them rent-free for several months, so who was I to complain? Being the only female in a house full of young men, I was always looking over my shoulder. You never know who you can trust. Turns out I was right to worry. Over time, their friends started to stay with us for longer periods of time, sometimes weeks. Their friends were another group of brothers that they had gone to school with. There were five brothers in total, but only two stayed with us consistently. The younger brother, Mark, was very polite. He cleaned up after himself and always helped with the household chores. The other brother, Adam, had a laundry list of mental problems. He had apparently done some bad drugs back in the day, and it had developed into what seemed like psychosis of the religious sort. He had done time in prison for assaulting a woman with a Bible. He would often look you in the eyes and tell you he could see how you would die. Once he told me that I was possessed by a demon and I needed my soul cleansed. Everyone in the house knew he had these problems, but he was their friend. They helped him through the hard times and gave him a place to stay. Otherwise, he would be on the streets. I was always on guard around him after the things he told me. No one else seemed to be as concerned as I was. They should have been. One day, I was sleeping and my phone rang. It was my boss. He asked if I could come into work an hour early. It was only 12 p.m. I was broke and had nothing better to do, so I said yes. I got up and began getting ready to leave. I walked out into the living room to see Mark and Andrew sitting on the couch while Adam sat on the floor by the TV. He was watching scripture videos on YouTube. Some real end-of-days shit. 
that was fairly common, so I went about my business, I said goodbye, and left for work. My shift at work was almost complete when the phone rang. My boss answered, handed the phone to me, and said, For you. I was just a cashier, so I assumed it was a friend that couldn't reach me on my phone. I answered the phone and heard a man's voice that I didn't recognize. Hi, this is Detective Williams. Something happened at your apartment today, and we need you to come to the station to talk about it. I left work immediately. I had assumed one of the brothers had been arrested for drug dealing or something. I was very wrong. I got to the station and was buzzed in. An officer escorted me to a small, cold room with a camera. He gave me a bottle of water and left me by myself for about 30 minutes. My mind was racing, thinking about what could have happened. He came back in and informed me that Adam had stabbed and killed Andrew at around 1 p.m. I was shocked. I had just left the house an hour before it happened, and everything seemed fine. I asked if there had been a fight. The detective informed me that there hadn't been a fight, and it seemed to have happened out of nowhere. I gave my statement to the police and left with nowhere to go, still in shock and confused out of my mind. Our apartment was a crime scene, so... I went to another friend's house to watch the news report, since the police wouldn't give me any information on the case. Over the next couple of days, the information began to be released. Adam hadn't just stabbed Andrew once, not twice, but he had stabbed him over and over and nearly decapitated him. After the murder, he ran down the road still holding the murder weapon. He called 911 and informed them what he had done. I watched the news report in horror. We had known he was unstable, but this... He had fully confessed to the brutal murder and provided police with his notebooks. He had apparently been planning to murder all of his brothers, my roommates, and me. He thought we were possessed by demons, and this was the only way to free us. Luckily, none of his other intended victims were there that day. Mark unfortunately witnessed the murder, but he luckily escaped. If I hadn't gotten that call from my boss, I wouldn't be alive today. So... To the man who brutally murdered my friend and wanted to murder me, let's never meet again. If you enjoy what you're hearing, consider supporting us as a premium listener. Premium listeners enjoy perks like shoutouts, early ad-free episodes, merch store discounts, and bonus episodes. Find out more at disturbedpodcast.com slash fanclub. In our next experience, we meet Reddit user Goddamn Leader of Cola and introducing new guest narrator Vinny Narayani. You never really know your co-workers as well as you might think. I was reading a story that reminded me of an event from over 20 years ago. In the second half of 1998, I had taken a job as a security guard at a plant that made locks. Being a kid, I usually worked one of three shifts, 4pm to 12am, 7.30pm to 3.30am, 12am to 8am. The 7.30 to 3.30 shift was for extra coverage so there were always two of us there from 7.30 to midnight. It was a routine, boring job for the most part. 
We did our rounds, logged anything out of the ordinary, and watched a tiny monitor displaying the CCTV feed. Things went by in an almost painfully normal manner for six months. I worked, saved, bought a car, and planned to move. By late March of 99, I served my notice and prepared to head cross-country. A new hire was brought in to fill my spot, a soft-spoken man named Calvin. As part of his training, Calvin spent time working at all hours. At night, he was a shadow, working with myself and the other night guard, getting a feel for the plant's nocturnal routines. Most nights, he worked with myself and Amira, a female guard who was around my age. I was 18 at the time. Calvin, who was about a decade older, was quiet and polite, though something seemed to be missing. There's a spark that genuinely nice people seem to have, and he didn't possess it. Whenever he went on rounds with me, he'd ask questions about the job and make small talk. I noticed that he was a little odd, laughing at odd times and changing his tone mid-sentence. At the time, I chalked it up to him being awkward. That wouldn't last. One night, nearing the end of his first week, he went on rounds with Amira. When they returned to the office, I knew something was wrong. Normally talkative, she would barely say a word. Not sure what had occurred, I waited until Calvin had gone to the restroom to ask. During their trip, everything had been normal until they reached the brass mill, a portion of the plant that shut down at 6 p.m. There were usually no employees there after that time and no lights. They were making their way to a checkpoint on a landing atop a flight of stairs when the mood shifted. She told me that she turned around only to find that he was right on her. Startled, she backed against the grating at the end of the landing and he leaned in towards her, his face nearly touching hers. He flirted in a low voice, and when she mentioned his wedding band, he said it would be over soon. From then on, I did the rounds, taking Calvin with me each time. The night ended without further incident, and I left a note for our supervisor detailing what had occurred. The next night came and went with no Calvin. I did the rounds while Amira stayed in the locked office. Same thing the night after. Then, on my second to last shift, I came in to find her freaking out. She found out why Calvin hadn't been at work. He had been arrested for murdering his wife. She had been dismembered and burned, parts of her body placed in a pond less than a mile from where we worked. That night and the next, Amira called the jail just to make sure they were still holding him. Based on the time frame, he had killed his wife months before he started the job. If you haven't heard yet, we've upgraded our voicemail to a more simple system. If you'd like to leave us a message about the podcast or your own scary encounter, simply visit disturbedpodcast.com and click the blue microphone in the lower right. We'll be playing some of your messages in future episodes. In our next experience... We hear from Reddit user Mora Grace, with narration 
by Leah Green. You don't always get a peaceful, relaxing night. So this happened when I was in college. I lived in Isla Vista, the student community at UCSB, notorious for being a party school. It fully lived up to its reputation. I like to party, but holy shit, these people were off the wall. As such, there were a lot of people who put themselves in dangerous situations, drinking to excess, not being careful, not locking doors, and so forth. I had a very isolated and insular vibe, and anyone who was hanging around who wasn't college-aged immediately looked out of place and strange. One night, after having a few drinks, I came home to my small house, where I lived with two other girls, probably around 2.30 a.m. We were all serious students. I was probably the least serious, actually. And when we partied, it was not your typical UCSB mega-rager. More like a small get-together with friends. We would often have a few people spend the night, sleep on our furniture, or in our beds, as the case may be. That night, my roommates had had a few people over who I didn't know, and I saw when I returned home that one of them had opted to sleep on the couch from the shadow that I saw there. I didn't turn the light on, so I wouldn't wake anyone up. But as I was passing the couch to enter my bedroom, I noticed the figure was laying very stiff. He just had this weird energy to him. He was lying down, but it was like he was putting all of his energy into lying as still and rigid as possible. I paused, and the guy quickly jerked his head to face me, without moving his limbs, so quickly that it startled me. I could see his wide-open eyes glinting in the dark, figuring that I'd startled him, or that maybe he was drunk, or maybe on some kind of stimulant and unable to sleep. I just hurried past him, into my bedroom, and locked the door. The dude made me nervous, and I wasn't taking any chances. I fell asleep. At 4.30 a.m., I woke up there was a strange sound at the door, almost like somebody was drumming their fingers against the wood very quietly. I lay still and listened. There were more quiet sounds like someone scratching the door with their fingers, which got louder and louder until it was clear that he was using both hands and scratching as fast and as hard as possible. It created an extremely loud and intimidating sound that filled me with fear. I got my cell phone and texted my roommate because I was afraid to make a sound. Your friend is freaking me out. Is he coked out? Can you talk to him? He's banging and scratching on my door. She didn't text me back. Probably because she was asleep. I texted my other roommate to the same effect, covering all my bases. Now, keep in mind that the scratching has been going on at this point for a couple of minutes. I have no idea how he could have sustained it. Scratching a wooden door with your fingernails can't feel good. He also grabbed at the knob and jiggled it super forcefully. Because neither of them answered, I decided to call and really wake them up, though I was scared to make a sound. I know, it sounds super stupid, but there was something seriously horrifying about being teased like this through the door. I knew he was trying to terrify me. I felt like a little kid. But I could tell this guy was fucked up or something, and maybe the police seemed to be called. And I wanted to loop my roommates in since it was one of their friends. The scratching stopped abruptly, 
and I called my roommate, who answered sleepily. Yo, your friend is messed up. Can you please deal with it? Do we need to call the cops? He's seriously scaring me, and he was scratching at my bedroom door. Really fucking weird. She didn't say anything for several seconds, and when we did speak, her voice had no sleepiness in it at all. What friend? She said. The fucking guy sleeping on the couch, I said. She was quiet again. We didn't have any guys over, she said. Call the police. My adrenaline surged, and I told her to please lock the bedroom door as quickly as possible. I realized that I hadn't heard scratching in a while, and I had no clue where the dude had gone. Suddenly, I heard a loud banging in the other end of the house where my roommates, Lauren and Monica, shared a bedroom. The bangs were followed by the sound of them screaming in fear. I quickly dialed the police as this maniac proceeded to bang against the, luckily, locked bedroom door of my two roommates as they screamed. The heaviness of the blows left no doubt that he was trying to break the door down. I told the 911 operator the situation, and she dispatched two squad cars. The police in Isla Vista are generally used to peeling drunks off the sidewalk and breaking up brawling frat bros. This was really serious and strange, and I think the dispatcher got the sense from my tone how terrified I was, and she stayed on the phone with me. At one point, the banging stopped, and everything was quiet for a while. I talked with the dispatcher and suddenly looked down to see that this guy had slipped his fingers through the one-inch gap between my door and the floor and was just kind of waggling them around, making this weird growling sound. I screamed and backed away, which is my biggest regret about this situation, since when I looked back, it would have been so awesome just to stomp the shit out of those fingers and hear the guy howl in pain. When the cops rolled up, I heard running and the sound of our sliding glass door opening and closing, and then he was gone. The cops never caught him. He had broken in through our side door by jimming the lock somehow. My door was covered in what turned out to be huge gouges he'd made using a pair of scissors, which he discarded on the ground before he left. What terrifies me most about this was that I walked right past him. I looked him right in the face. I realize now that he was not trying to sleep or on drugs, but was lying so stiff like that because he was hiding. He probably heard me open the door and freaked out because he hadn't realized there was another girl living there and tried to blend into the couch in the darkness. This episode is made possible by Supporty. Are you struggling to stay motivated to the goals you've set for yourself? Maybe you're trying to wake up earlier, but you keep hitting that snooze button. Or perhaps you have dreams of starting your own podcast or side hustle, but you haven't been putting in the work consistently. Well, one of the best ways to make lasting behavioral changes is by an accountability partner who will help you stick to positive daily actions. So how do you find a reliable accountability partner who's going to engage with you and keep you honest? Supporty is a mobile app that matches you with accountability buddies for a week at a time. Supporty pairs you and a buddy up one-on-one. That's for maximum accountability. Plus, it's mutual. So you encourage your buddy and they encourage you each day of your seven-day session. 
What's really cool is you can see whether your partner accomplished their daily actions and they can see the same about you. If you want a more effective way to stay motivated, experience the difference of an accountability partner. Download Supporty, that's support with an I at the end, from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store, and make sure you choose Disturbed Podcast when you create your account to start your two-week free trial. You can check out the show notes of this episode for more details. Get encouragement, get motivated, and achieve more with Supporty. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series... And that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Next experience, we're introduced to Reddit user Super Sneaky Kitty 3 with narration by Nicole Goodnight. Most of the time, when you're with your parents, you think you're safe, but that's not always the case. This was back in the November of 2018 and takes place in North Carolina. I was 14 at the time. My family and I had just moved across states. 
We had just gotten to the city where we planned on living after a long road trip. We were all hungry, so we decided to go grab dinner before we went to pick up the keys to our new house. We went to this local pizza shop. Since we had our dogs with us, because we hadn't moved into our house yet, we decided to eat in the car. I'm a pretty fast eater compared to the rest of my family, so I finished way before them. After I was done, I decided to bring my puppy out to do her business. We were standing just a little ways up from the car, playing in the leaves on the ground. I grew up in Florida, so I wasn't used to seeing piles of autumn leaves. So I was just living my best life, not paying attention to my surroundings. When a man taps me on my shoulder. My dog notices him too and immediately tries to jump on him, as she does with anyone, so I pull her back while I'm backing away from him. He looks to be in his mid-40s to 50s. He smiles creepily at me like, uh, like it was forced. He says in his scruffy southern voice, You have my dog, my border collie. Immediately, a red flag goes off in my mind as my dog looks very obviously like a boxer, nothing like a border collie. Now let me tell you, I'm horrible at confrontation. So I just say nervously, I think you're mistaken, sir, this is my dog. Not even telling him how my dog does not look anything like what he was describing. I look over to my parents' car that was just a couple feet ahead of me, unsure of what to do. They hadn't even noticed the man approach me, they were on their phones. The man now asks me, well, would you be able to come and help me look for my dog? I can feel my stomach drop in that moment. I still don't want to make a scene as I'm probably overreacting, but I have read my fair share of kidnapping and sex trafficking horror stories, so I have an idea in the back of my mind on what's going down. He then says something along the lines of, I have some money in my truck for you, if I went with him. My hands are sweating at this point. This is something straight out of a Reddit thread. He points over to a very sketchy, run-down-looking truck. I tell him I'm busy and have to go, but best of luck finding his dog. I was still trying to keep him on my good side. Looking back on it now, I don't know why I didn't tell my parents were right there. If I would have, I think he would have backed off. I overly worry about what others might think, so I was just trying to be polite and not make him mad. He then decides to grab my dog's leash and say he had dog treats at his truck and starts to walk away with my dog. I pull the leash away from him and say sternly, I have to go now. As I start walking away, he then grabs my wrist and rips the leash out of my hands, throwing it to the ground. He starts pulling me with him, mumbling something like, just come and see what I have for you. My dog, the sweet good girl she is, follows after us and starts barking while he starts to drag me with him. I'm pretty small, 5'4", and have no upper body strength, so I just start screaming to let go of me. My parents, alarmed hearing me scream and our dog chasing after me barking, see this man pulling their daughter against her will. They immediately start sprinting after me. I start screaming, Mom! Dad! I, I think he got alarmed when he heard me yell out, Mom, as, as she starts running towards us. The sudden realization that my parents were right there in their car the whole time. He makes a run for it, and we didn't run after him. My parents were just glad they had me. This is definitely not a good way to start off our new life in North Carolina. Not even having lived there a day yet. I do not wish this to happen to anyone as it was terrifying. But my advice for you is 
don't be afraid to use your words, even if they offend the person. Then is not the time to worry about what others think. In our final experience, we hear from Reddit user Nerdy Redeye Jedi, with narration by yours truly. What would you do if you became someone else's target practice? I used to work at a security company with a bunch of friends. We all got along well, and most of us even hung out after work. The ones I didn't hang out with kept to themselves. There were two brothers that worked nights with me, and they were their own group. They were new to the company, and would have many conversations about their guns. Bill was the older brother, and Luke was the younger. After hearing Luke and Bill talk about target shooting so much, I developed an interest. I don't own a single firearm, but my roommate owns several. I mentioned at work one night that I was going shooting in the morning with my roommate, and I needed a good place to go. Well, the two brothers pointed out a spot on Google Earth for me and said it was great, and they have shot up there once before. It was 45 minutes away and higher up in the mountains. I knew the spot precisely due to a single image posted to the coordinates on Google Earth with used shotgun shells covering the ground. I decided that was as good a spot as any and told my roommate Don where to drive us. We arrived the next morning at 10 a.m. and parked at the top of the hill. We saw our spot about 150 yards away in a clearing down in the valley and began hiking down. On a quick side note, I wear this very bright, neon yellow, hooded sweatshirt at work, and during the winter. I'm also a pretty large fella. Being big and brightly colored makes you very visible from very far away. I've seen hunters using bright colors to avoid accidentally getting shot by other hunters. I decided to wear my trademark bright hoodie on our little hike. We made it a quarter way down the hill and I see a group of fellow target shooters at our desired spot. These were the only other people we had seen in 30 minutes. Our spot is taken. Lame, I said. The second I said lame, that's when the shit hits the fan. We are on the side of a mountain, walking down towards them, and the rounds start flying. This group was shooting at us. Don and I were targets for about three guns, and we didn't have immediate cover. I see Don running across the mountain, strafing the shooters. I see what he was running for. It was a small plateau about 20 yards next to us. The sounds of bullets flying inches away from my ears is a sound I will never forget. Movies do not do the sound justice at all, not even close. I still get chills thinking about it now. The vibration and rotation of the bullets was chilling. It's not a sound I want to hear ever again. 
It made everything go slow motion and very clear. My adrenaline was kicking in. We made it to cover and hit the dirt. We were pinned down, but we had cover now. I had to have heard at least a hundred rounds pass over the lip of the plateau. I heard a pistol, a rifle, and a shotgun. I know I did. The trees, boulders, and mountainside were being hammered by round after round. If we sat up from our cover, we'd have been shot in the face. These people were shooting up a hill towards a road. They had their backs to their paper targets. Thinking back on it, my father said I should have yelled down to them and let them know they were shooting at two people and to hold their fire. But the thing is, I think they knew they were shooting at us. How could they not? They weren't that far, and the mountainside was almost bare. I didn't want to let them know they were so close to hitting us. I should have shot back. We had the high ground. But I'm not a killer. We just waited and listened for their footsteps and wanted them to stay where they were. If we were killed, no one would have found our bodies out there. Fifteen minutes went by and the gunfire didn't let up. Until it just ended. The mountain was quiet again. After five more minutes of silence, we checked down the hill. They were gone. We had our guns ready as we scanned the valley down below. Nothing. No more guys, no vehicle, just their garbage left behind. We decided this was a great time to get the hell out of the hills. We made it back to our car and back to our house faster than ever. When I went back to work the next shift, I told this story to everyone. I even thanked Bill for the sweet advice. He apologized for the bad locals and said, that's crazy. Another coworker told me Bill and Luke went out shooting the same morning as I did in the same area. I asked Bill immediately about it, asked him where he went shooting and what guns he brought to shoot. He pointed at the same damned Google Earth image as before. Luke, his friend, and Bill were using a Glock, a 22 rifle, and a 12-gauge shotgun. It was all coming together so quickly. I told him he was a psycho and he almost killed us. He denied shooting at us and even changed his mind about where they went shooting. He said it was actually two miles west because his GPS was inaccurate. I knew he was lying, but what could I do? I had no proof. He worked with me another two years before I moved away and never heard from them again. I remember how emotionless he was when he denied shooting at me. He was like a robot. We never spoke of it after the first time. I haven't gone shooting since. If you enjoyed this episode of Disturbed, consider supporting us as a premium listener. Find out more at disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club. Theme music for this episode by Kevin Hartnell. Special thanks to all the contributing narrators and submitters of these stories. You'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. 
You can see more info on our website, disturbedpodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening so you always get the newest episodes automatically. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod to stay up to date with all the latest Disturbed news. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Stay safe out there, y'all.